to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim, and we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida Ghosts, Legends, and Lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Indeed. You know, it's it's funny you say debunking. Um, I... I had the opportunity to to uh, guest on uh, my friend Nick at the Nikki Free podcast again on I don't know last week at some point I don't know what day it is I don't know what year it is <laughs> what's what is time I don't know but that's awesome yeah it was my second time being on the show but we had a whole like really lovely conversation actually about like debunking and and some of the ghost hunting stuff and debunking and and scullying and moldering and uh, it was a lot of fun. So you should you should check out the episode or check out Nikki's podcast because it's a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah. Check it out. Love that plug. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> I know. I've got a couple other guest things coming up. I feel like I should Just plug them on here them more off. often. Well, it's <laughs> mm, mm, mm. um. I, I will also be guesting on uh, my friend Gory, who is fantabulous. Gory B. Movie. Uh, she has a great YouTube show. I've guested on the YouTube show now um, quite a bit. Uh, and we, uh, I did, I did a couple of the screen movies. I did a bunch of the Halloween movies around Halloween, but, uh, I'm going to be guesting in a couple weeks talking about the evil dead two. So I'm going to be guesting on, uh, Sunday, the 16th starting at 7.30 Pacific. And so you can find Gory's YouTube channel. It's Gory B Movie. And you can uh, listen to us talk a little bit about Evil Dead 2. Nice. Yeah. Which is a fantastic movie if you've never seen it. It's almost like a pre-Creepy Critics Corner. It is. Creepy Critics Corner. Without the Creepy Critics Corner. Yeah. Well, if you, in celebration of, there's a new Evil Dead movie that's on its way out soon. So I believe uh, she's covering all the Evil Dead movies leading up to it. Have you ever seen them? Nope. (gasps) Oh, there. You forget that, like, I am a late bloomer when it comes to horror films. And so I have been playing catch up with a lot of horror films and I'm really mm-hmm. particular with what I watch. But this might not be your cup of tea, but I am a big fan of the franchise. Um uh it was ones that uh it was actually it was the Army of Darkness was one that I saw first when I was in high school. And uh it was a, a tradition of my drama club to oh, cool. watch the Army of Darkness after we closed a show. So that was my introduction to the Evil Dead franchise. But anyway, it's uh it should be a lot of fun. So I love a I tradition get... like that. That's very cool. Oh, it was great. Uh but yeah, yeah. Nice. So always always fun to get out there in the world. I'll be at Crypticon soon in May. Very uh, if exciting. You're, if you're local, May 19th through the 21st, you can come see me do 20 bajillion panels. Uh, Such a good time. It is, you came to a, quite a few of my panels I've been last to a year. Couple, which yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, which was a lot of fun. I know I won't be able to make it this year, but I'll be there in spirit. <laughs> spirit. Puns intended. <laughs> but uh, that's like shameless self promotion corner. So. <laughs> Hey man, that's what you get when you remember what you want to talk about before we start recording. So that this, you know, this, this is get. what happens when we start recording before 9 p.m. 
Also, I'm so sorry if we were so loopy on our last episode. (laughs) I didn't remember half the stuff we said. And before we started recording, actually, Gabby was playing some highlights. Uh, Yeah, this is what happens when when we are sleepy. Exhaustion hits different than (laughs) non-exhaustion. It's true. It's really true. True, true. But uh, we are a little bit, well, to a degree, better rested. (laughs) It's earlier in the day. It's earlier. Earlier in the evening. It's still evening. There's still light out. So that that says something, right? It says something. That's a win. That's a win. Uh, We are actually, this is part one of a two-part episode. Yes. Did I tell you what I was even covering? I can't remember. Maybe. Do Maybe. I remember? No. Sure don't. Sure. So this is going to be a surprise for you, too. Those are my favorite Love a kind. surprise. I love when you surprise me, Kim, truly. <laughs> That's when you get the best reactions, <laughs> screenshots of my face and my eyes bugging out of my head. Like It's true. You know, when I do we talk love about, <laughs> like, when you play audio clips for me and make me react to them, it's always a good time. <gasps> you know, it's funny. I was debating between two different cases, and one of them would have required me to play a bunch of audio clips. So um, we're going to press save on that for a later okay. date, because that one will definitely come up, and I'm going to, I'm not even going to tell you what it is, but, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm that bitch. I love um, it. So uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Oh. What do, you, what do you think of when you hear Cleveland? Baseball? Sure. Question mark? The Drew Carey show, and they did the Cleveland Rocks, and I don't know why. That's where my brain goes. Um, Not everybody knows that Cleveland was home to uh, a rather vicious serial killer. Ooh. Yeah. So the Great Depression... That hit Cleveland really hard. Uh, It was known as the Dark City which is very Batman. I was just going to say, was Batman there? Batman. (laughs) Batman. Uh, It was said that City Hall was so corrupt, Cleveland was known to criminals as being a safe city. Oi. Yeah. That's not the kind of safe city you want. (laughs) That's like a collar pull moment. It really is. (laughs) Between 1934 and 1938, 12 to 20 people were brutally murdered and dismembered in Cleveland. The killer targeted the poor, homeless, drifters, marginalized people. Uh, Have we heard that before in some of our true crime cases, Gabby? Many a time. Many a time. Um, Here's where it's kind of interesting, though. So this killer had no gender preference, killed men and women both, um, and would not just kill his victims, but he would actually take them apart. He would become known as the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run or the Cleveland Torso Killer. Have you heard of this case before? No, but it reminds me of the other torso murders that you've talked about. Is that different from this one? Uh, remind me what other torso murders There I was another about. torso murder that you talked about a long time ago. I don't remember which one it was, but I remember distinctly it being called torso murders. I covered this for a tea and true crime. So maybe oh, so you saw 
Maybe I'm thinking of the topic that you're literally about to talk about. Yeah, except I, uh, you'll see some you'll see some differences. Oh, okay. So <laughs> never mind. It's just like jogging my memory, and I actually we, know there was about that the Hammersmith nude murders, but that wasn't no, that's different. Torso. That's not a torso. Trying to think if I've done another torso for the podcast, but I've covered other torso killers before for Teen True Crime, so it, it does okay. start to blend Blur together. together. All so the just torsos so many just torsos, Gabby. So, so many torsos. <laughs> no heads, no legs, no arms. No heads, no. I, I did the um, I did the the Times Square Ripper, and they were a torso killer, but not for the podcast yet. I will at some point because I I've worked on that presentation pretty pretty epically. Anyway, sorry. Lots of murders, friends. I have a lot of murder presentations that just like sit there on my computer. Really it's looks normal. good for you. It's it's normal. No one ever look at my computer. <laughs> um, but no, so I'm I'm I am fascinated by this case because it's not one people really talk about. But it has a famous investigator attached to it. You've got murder, mayhem, dismemberment. And also some pioneering of early profiling techniques. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, So shortly before 8 a.m. on September 5th of 1934, a man was searching for driftwood near Erie Beach Park. Looking down the beach, he saw what he thought was a part of a tree trunk buried in the sand. Y'all, we've been together long enough. (laughs) That's not a, not a tree trunk. That's a human trunk. It was a human trunk, yes. Partially buried in the sand was the rotting lower half of a woman's torso, legs amputated at the knees. Police were called. I I get that. I understand. I always love that when I'm reading an account of a murder and it's like this horrible crime scene. Police were called. (laughs) You're like, great. That's that's, that's, well done, friends. Let's pass that to somebody else. Yeah. The woman was probably about five foot six in her mid thirties. She had an abdominal scar that showed she'd had a hysterectomy about a year before, which was apparently a common procedure in, by the 1930s. So, really? There you go. Okay. She'd been dead approximately six months. She'd been in the water for three to four. The flesh of the body was not waterlogged, suggesting that when it was initially placed in the water, it had been in some sort of container that protected it. The crime was strange enough, but when the torso was examined further, it was discovered that a chemical had been used on the skin that acted as a preservative. It turned the flesh kind of a reddish color, making it tough and leathery. The medical examiner believed it could have been some sort of chloride of lime or calcium salt. Perhaps the killer had made a mistake, thinking he was pouring quicklime on a body, which some killers use to try and dissolve a body, but instead, (laughs) chloride of lime. Which uh, sounds like it did the opposite of dissolve the body. It's a preservative. That's a big ol' whoops. (laughs) That's a big oopsie-daisy, if indeed it was a mistake. Sure. The discovery of the torso sparked a memory with Deputy Sheriff Melvin Keener. That's a good name. I love the name Melvin. Also Keener. Just good. Yeah, it's just a good name. About two weeks prior, some kids had found a vertebrae and ribs that still had flesh on them on the beach about 30 miles away. Yikes. Keener assumed they were animal bones, had them buried in the sand. With the discovery of the torso 
he had a search started to try and find the remains buried weeks prior. And it took them hours, but they did find the shallow grave. So they dug the bones up and this time correctly identified them as human, not animal. Good job. Not only that, but these bones belong to the body of the woman found on the beach. They were part of her, uh, the upper area of her torso. All right. We got puzzle pieces. We got puzzle pieces. So the police start looking through any other reports that had come in. In late August, a fisherman snagged his line on something. As he tried to reel it in, the item broke loose, but he noticed there appeared to be blonde hairs on the hook. It's not normal. No. No. Later, a ferry boat operator reported he thought he saw a human head floating in the water. Oh, no. (laughs) But also, like, okay, can we talk about this for a second? Like, maybe I saw a head in the water. Maybe not. I don't know. It's fine. Also, like, how do you know it's not just somebody swimming? I don't know. Um, If you see a head, unless it's, like, sideways. bobbing in the water looks significantly different (laughs) than a swimming human. The lack of arms is usually a dead giveaway. Pun intended. Hey. Now, sometime in late August or early September, two boys came across some bones that also had pieces of flesh stuck to them. They buried the bones to keep the neighborhood dogs from getting a hold of them. Oh, no. Shortly before Labor Day, a young girl ran out of Lake Erie saying she had seen a hand waving at her from the bottom. I mean, I get it. Like, my nephew said the same thing the other day. Like, kids say shit. Wait, what was your nephew seeing? That's my question. Oh, probably a dead body. Oh, okay. Cool. No big deal. No big deal. Listen, when when I'm your aunt, the dead bodies just kind of come, right? It's on brand. It's on brand. Gotta start him young. Police start searching, combing the beach and water for anything. An upper arm would be found, but nothing else. So what happened to the woman? Some people thought it could have been a suicide and not a murder. Uh, The body possibly being slashed by propellers. I guess she also slathered herself in chemicals, too. (laughs) Thought it was sunscreen? I don't know. Yeah. Also, the vertebrae had knife marks on them, similar to what a butcher Uh, would use. And the cuts were way too clean, which... I don't know. I, this is this is going to be a really weird question to ask. Have you seen what a body looks like if it's been hit with a propeller? I have not. No. They are not clean cuts. <laughs> Let me just put I it I would that imagine, way. like, propeller means not, like, it's yeah. hit multiple times, yeah. right? Like, that's just not, it's sounds, not clean. sounds messy. So this was much more like someone had used a knife to to carefully and also skillfully take the body apart. With the body so decomposed and no head or fingers to try and use for identification, it was left to missing person reports to try to identify her, and there was absolutely no luck. Uh, she was dubbed the Lady of the Lake. I know. Really? Yeah, no, that's what you dub. Oh, yeah. There's a, do you know how many unidentified female bodies? The there's so many Ladies of the Lake. Because, yeah, we, we, we had an episode on the Lady of the Lake. Um, there's others. It's a pretty common... It almost to the point where it makes hard it makes it hard to keep track of which lady of the lake you're talking about. If you just say the lady of the lake and you're like, which one? Which one? There's many, many ladies there's, of many lakes. Pick a lake, there's probably a lady. Uh, but she would sadly be buried in the potter's field. A year would pass. September 23rd of 1935. Kingsbury Run. 
Natural watershed, uh, prehistoric riverbed, like which is kind of cool. The train and rapid transit still run through it. In the 1930s, it was a rundown and unsafe area. Huh, like 2023 Seattle. Hey. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? I was full of what was commonly called hobo jungles. What? <laughs> It was, uh, it's like shantytown, you know, just oh, okay. less. okay, I misheard you. I'm sorry. You said <laughs> it was full. Yeah. It I was heard full of. I was full of, which Girl. is a whole other interpretation. That's, no, that's no. Just east of it was an area called the Roaring Third, where you had like all the bars and the brothels, the gambling, like Piner Square, basically. Mm, sure. So this is not an area you necessarily want to be hanging out in if you don't have to. Sure. Two boys, 16-year-old James Wagner and 12-year-old Peter Costura, were playing catch when the ball fell down into a gully. One of them went down to get it and was shocked to discover the headless body of a man. Shocked enough, he ran out yelling, dead man with no head down there. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, no, it is kind of funny. It's just so specific. Like... He had to specify that he's missing a head, not like, ah, I found a body. No, It's Kingsbury Run. You did have to specify that. Okay, fair. But also, <laughs> like, it's just a funny thing to shout. No, it, it is. It is. It's, I mean, you know, it's a kid, so, like, um, not the only body, though. <gasps> oh, no. At almost the exact same time, two other kids who were watching nearby spotted their own headless body. Oh, their own? A different headless body. Two headless bodies. A second headless corpse of a man about 30 feet away from the first. Okay, that's really close by. (laughs) It is. Almost like it's a little dumping ground. Oh, no. The first corpse... Minus the heads. The first corpse was a white male, naked except for black socks. Both his head and his penis were removed... He had rope burns on his wrists. The body had been drained of blood. The second body was older than the first, described as middle age, and had been dead for longer. A chemical had been poured on the skin that made it look kind of reddish, leathery. Does this sound familiar? Preserved, if you will. Preserved, if you will. This body was also drained of blood. Uh, The official police report would state, the bodies of two white men, both beheaded, lying in the weeds. Both bodies were naked, except that one of them had socks on. After an extensive search, the heads of both men were found buried in separate places, one about 20 feet away from one of the bodies, and the other head was buried about 75 feet away from the other body. Both men's penises had been severed from their bodies and were found near one of the heads. We also found an old blue coat, light cap, and a blood-stained union suit. Nearby was a metal bucket containing a small quantity of oil and a torch. It was apparent that oil, acid, or some chemical had been poured over one of the bodies as it was burnt to quite an extent. It was also evident that both bodies had been there several days as they were starting to decompose. But no blood found at the scene. And this is notable, as one of the officers would point out, quote, the jugular vein is a snaky thing. 
It splatters blood everywhere when you cut it. So what does that tell us? The body was cut up somewhere else. Yeah. The first victim would be ID'd as uh, 28 or 29. I saw different estimations. Um, Edward Androssi. He was well known by local police. A railroad detective said of Androssi. Androssi was the type fella gives a cop a lot of lip when he's questioned. Once I had to knock him down. Oh, yeah. Charming. Uh, He sometimes worked at the mental ward in Cleveland City Hospital. He was a handsome man with brown hair, blue eyes, had a reputation with the ladies. Okay. uh, Possibly with the men as well. Oh, all right. He had been recently threatened by the husband of one of the women he'd slept with. The man allegedly saying he was going to, quote, get him for playing around with my wife. Okay. He had also gotten on the wrong side of a local Italian gang who wanted revenge after he supposedly stabbed one of their members in a fight. Oh, that's bad news bears. So he had some enemies. (laughs) Yeah, you could say that. He had been dead for two to three days. According to the coroner, this man's death resulted from decapitation with a sharp instrument. Dang. So he died from decapitation. That's messed up. That is messed up. And the rope burns on his wrist led to speculation he had been conscious when he was decapitated and that he had fought. Oh, no. That's terrifying. That's messed up. Yeah. Um, but this was, this was something that stood out. And according to one of the detectives who witnessed the autopsy, that's odd. Usually a murderer kills by other means, stabbing, shooting, strangulation, poison. Sometimes, not often, the heads are removed to prevent identification, but almost never to kill. It's a hell of a job to remove a human head anyway. Which I want you to linger on that bit. How does this guy know? He speaks like he's tried it once or twice. Very familiar, for sure. But the point is valid. Um, it's <laughs> sounds so weird. Like outside of using a guillotine or something, like taking off someone's head isn't quite as easy as as I think movies sometimes make it look. Kim, are you familiar? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I refuse to comment uh, in case it incriminates me. Moving on. <laughs> and next page. Uh. And also, like, okay, so you look at the fact that the heads were near the bodies. Mm-hmm. They weren't really being hidden in that sense. So this wasn't a case of someone trying to hide the identity of the victims. Sure. So the second victim was stockier than Edward. He was about five foot six, 40 to 45 years old, more decomposed. Uh, it was estimated he'd probably died about a month prior to Edward and Drossy. Edward and Drossy would actually become one of the very few victims who could be positively identified. Police looked extensively into his life, trying to determine any lead or any evidence evidence that could lead to the murderer's identity, but nothing panned out. 9 a.m., January 26 of 1936, a toolmaker noticed two baskets in the snow in an alleyway. He gave him a closer inspection, saw what he thought were pieces of pork wrapped in newspaper and placed in burlap bags. He left. 
You have to appreciate that even during the Great Depression, people still did not want to eat random people pork they found in back alleyways. <laughs> people pork. All right. People, people pork. Hashtag people pork. Well, you know, it does go bad. It does. Even if it's in the snow. <laughs> it is. That's right. At about 11 a.m., a woman came across the basket and goes into the nearby uh, meat market, nearby butcher, to tell the proprietor. Fearing he'd been robbed, he ran to inspect the meat, which is when he discovered the meat was people. Oh, no. The police were summoned. <laughs> is that going to be our hashtag for this episode? <laughs> hashtag the police were summoned. I don't know why with this case specifically, that phrase came up so often in the accounts. It got to be kind of comical, even though, I, I mean, I guess it, it happens every time. I read a lot of this stuff, but it was just how often, because there was so many of finding bodies. There was just a lot of finding bodies. And so the police were summoned. <laughs> but I feel like there's like an assumption made that if bodies are found, police are going to be there. So to point out that the police were summoned seems <laughs> the like. The police were summoned. <laughs> it seems that like you don't need to say that. Like that's a detail that like, yeah, duh. Like, mm-hmm. got it. Mm-hmm. So the police showed up about 1125 a.m. Unwrapping the pieces revealed the lower half of a female torso, two thighs, the right arm and hand. There were cinder and coal dust on the skin and a pair of cheap underwear found wrapped in newspaper nearby. Additional body parts would be found scattered around in the days to come, but her head would never be found. The hand, however, the hand allowed for identification. Fingerprints showed the victim was one Florence Palillo. At the time of her death, she was in her early 40s. She had dyed red-brown hair and bad teeth. Her torso had been bisected, thighs severed at the hip. Her entire reproductive system was removed before her death. (gasps) No! She most likely died from decapitation like the other two men found the previous September. Her dismemberment was described as violent with limbs wrenched from their socket. Oh, my God. Her groin was slashed, the torso bisection reminiscent of the Lady of the Lake. Florence had last been seen alive two days prior on January 24th at about 8.30 p.m. by her landlady, and it is believed she was killed sometime that night. Uh, She was a sex worker. She was described as being friendly when she wasn't drinking, and she liked to collect dolls. Like the previous killings, uh, because we actually had an identification, her life was examined, leads were followed, but nothing came of any of them. Police are baffled. Now, it's 1936. We're still in the Great Depression, but there's a lot happening in Cleveland. (laughs) The Republican National Convention is happening in Cleveland, as was the Great Lake Exposition, gearing up for its 100-day run. So on June 5th at about 8.20 a.m., two young boys were skipping school to go fishing when they stumbled across something strange. They would later say... We see the pants all rolled up, and we think maybe there's money in the pockets. So they found this bundle. They poked the bundle with their fishing pole. Instead of money, they find the head of a man rolled up in the pants. His mouth was open. His eyes were shut. That is terrifying. 
And like kids too. Again, kids keep finding these bodies. And the boys would say, we were so scared. We run straight home. I wanted to ask my mother what to do, but she wasn't home. When she came in at about five o'clock, she tells us to see a policeman. The police were summoned. (laughs) There it is. There it is. Um, So the body had been dumped sometime in the last 18 hours. Dang. Because the area now was being patrolled more regularly since the murders had started. A policeman had gone through there at about 3 p.m. the previous day. The man was a white male, 22 to 25. That's a really specific uh, little little sliver of years there. He had been killed in the last 48 hours prior to discovery. He had shaggy dark hair, was described as handsome, which is kind of a weird thing to say when you just Says have a head. Who? Like I, I don't know. All the accounts were like he was handsome. I've seen pictures of the head. I, I don't know. It's a head. I not really how my brain works. I don't look yeah. at just the head and be like, wow, that's a really hot head. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, you're right. No, it's a weird thing to say. It's a weird thing to say. But these were some of the descriptions I was reading. It was okay. like it commented on his this the handsomeness. So that's the handsome head. That should be. <sighs> I, that's a good band name. It's <laughs> great band name. <laughs> um, there were hesitation marks around the chin, which... Oh, sorry, this is horrible. I don't mean to like we're I think part of we're laughing at some of this because it really is Insane. awful and bonkers. Um the hesitation marks showed that the killer struggled with the decapitation. Oh. And the cause of death was again decapitation and shock. Which I I can't fathom how terrifying it had to have been for the victims. Um to die this way and to be aware of it, to be aware, to be conscious and, and die by having your head sawed off your body. That's just so brutal. Like, and also so terrifying. Like if that were to happen to you, like I'd be like, shoot me first, put me on my misery and then do whatever you want. Like, I well, cause not... those are quicker. I mean, that's like they're quicker deaths. That's this my is... point. Yeah. That's like a long grueling process. The awareness of it happening. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. And not, again, not your, (sighs) we we talk about a lot of serial killers. (laughs) This is not your usual serial killer. If I know that's a weird thing to say. Um, but this is, this is just different. Yeah. Uh, the next J... The next day, June 6th, his body would be found about a 1,000 feet away, and judging from the pools of blood around the body, it was determined he had most likely been murdered there, which was a switch from some of the previous bodies, which had all been moved. Uh, His penis was also intact, another difference from the other male victims, which is not a sentence I get to say a whole lot, so there you go. He had six different tattoos on his body. Okay. And despite the distinct tattoos, no ID was forthcoming. So uh, the acting detective, Inspector Charles O. Neville, would describe the killer as a maniac with a lust to kill. No shit. But things are heating up. The papers especially are being very critical of everything that's happening. One paper called uh, The Press 
said, Somewhere in the countless byways of the crowded southeast, the grisly workshop of a human butcher who in the last 10 months has carved up and decapitated four persons. The press now had a name for him. The Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. That is a really eye-catching name. I'm not going to lie. No, it is. It is. It's funny. The first time I heard this uh, case talked about, I, I've always heard it referred to as the Cleveland Torso Killer. But like mm. Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run, I mean, I get it. That's the sexier name. And you might not want to refer to a killer by the sexier name. But like it, it rolls off the tongue in a way the Cleveland Torso Killer doesn't. I mean, they're both not great references. None of it's also- great. None of it's good, friends. <laughs> no. None of it's good. Uh, so police decided to try something kind of unusual. They wanted to make use of this upcoming exposition. They wanted to make use of the fact that, like, this guy had very distinctive tattoos. So they had a plaster made of his head, also known as a death mask. They would display it at the exposition in hopes of, of someone seeing it and recognizing it. Four million people came through the exposition. No one could identify the man. Dang. Now, there had been theories before that the deaths were connected, but this was the moment things were cemented. We were still decades away from the term serial killer being, well, actually. Funny, no. funny piece of trivia I learned. I didn't know this. I did not know this prior to researching this episode. In 1930... This is really nothing relating to anything we're talking about, but I felt compelled to share it because I found it fascinating. That's in fair. 19, yeah, right? In 1930, Ernst Gennett <laughs> wow. of the Berlin Homicide Squad coined the phrase that I'm sure I'm about to butcher, Syrian mortar, which is German for serial killer. Serial killer. Cool. Like, decades before the U.S. would talk about it, Robert Ressler's the one that gets all the credit for coining the phrase. Now nah, this dude is the one. So I just thought that was kind of cool. That's really neat. Uh, so we technically this phrase did exist by 1930, but eh, German, you know. Eh. Uh, <laughs> well, we weren't exactly feeling the Germans right now. <laughs> it's what, 1936? We weren't really besties with Germany right now. <laughs> no, not, not so no. much. Not so much. So that may have been why we weren't like, we're going to use this phrase anyway. That's wild, though. That's really cool. Isn't cool that fun cool? Fact. I, did not, I did not know that. That was, that was a brand new to Kim fact. That doesn't happen that often, so I'm really excited you got a brand new to Kim fact. <laughs> uh, so... Press is is just going nuts with this, and they're really happy to rile people up, get people all scared, talking about the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. Sure. And the killer wasn't done. Over a month later, on July 22nd of 1936, a 17-year-old girl on a walk came across a horrible stench. Oh, no. And the body of a naked, worm-riddled, headless man. What a description. Body had been there a while, hence the worms. <laughs> Thank you for the specification, Kim. You're welcome. Just in case you hadn't picked up on that, I wanted to make sure that was clear. Got it. The head would be found close by, hidden by the victim's clothes. Uh, 
But it was unclear if decapitation had been the cause of death, like some of the other bodies, as the coroner would later say. The whole thing was so decomposed that it is possible for the head to have dropped off and to have been carried a few yards by a dog or other animal. So that's horrifying. Like the tattooed man, he had been killed where he lay. Uh, His penis was also intact. He had been dead at least two months, which means he would have been killed prior to the tattooed man. The victim was about 40 years old and thought to be a vagrant. This is one of my favorite newspaper quotes, just because, I mean, I miss the drama of of old newspapers. Like, we have our own drama in the news now, but it's not as fun. No, Uh, the titles, usually, like, the titles of the actual articles are the most fun to read. They all sound like the scripts of melodramas, right? Yeah. It's kind of similar to what we talked about last episode with all the titles of the the trial Mm -hmm. that we were talking about. Yeah. So uh, this, this, this quote was, is there somewhere in Cuyahoga County a madman whose estranged god is the guillotine? Like, that's awesome. That that's needs to drama. be like the title of an album or name of a song. Is like, your estranged god the guillotine? Yes. Yeah. That phrase is great. That estranged God, the guillotine. I was just like, that was that was pretty awesome. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Um, this would mark the fifth official sixth, if you factor in the Lady of the Lake body that's found. And there was more to come. Oh, fun. September 10th of 1936, a vagrant was trying to hop a train at about 11.15 in the morning when he saw two halves of a white male torso floating in Kingsbury Run Creek. Body was headless, armless, just bobbing along in the water. He was missing his penis as well. He'd been dead for three to four days. Appeared to be 25 to 30 years old. Cause of death, decapitation. Two cuts were used to sever the head from the body. And though the cause of death was decapitation, there was evidence to support that the victim had been alive when the dismemberment had started. Desperate for an ID, the police started dragging the water in hopes of finding other pieces. Oh, no. Over 600 people came out to watch this happen, uh, and they would retrieve the lower half of each leg. On September 12th, they would find the left thigh. In an attempt to try and find a head or an arm so they could actually use that to identify if they got fingerprints or, you know, a face... The pool was drained. Nothing else was found. People are restless. Higher-ups want answers, and they wanted someone arrested for the crimes. Enter one, Elliot Ness. Oh. That's a name you recognize. Yes. Do you, do you know much about him, or you're just like, oh, nope, I know that I dude. I just know the name. <laughs> yeah. it's it's. I mean, again, it, most people have at least heard of Elliot Ness, if you're not exactly sure why. Uh, he rose to fame during Prohibition. He worked to bring down a little man named Al Capone with the corruption of Chicago's law enforcement. um, He went through records of all prohibition agents to create a reliable team known as the Untouchables, which would later become a movie called the Untouchables. I think there was a TV show, too. Anyway, uh, he was... He had a huge, huge, huge part in bringing Al Capone down. He was known for being so upstanding that this was this was one of the ways he was described. 
Honesty amounted to almost a fetish. Oh, okay. Author Fletcher Knebel described Ness. Um, he stood just under six feet, weighed 172 pounds, and owned thick brown hair that refused to stay parted. His blue-gray eyes, shy smile, and uncreased forehead gave him a boyish appearance. His manners were correct, his voice so low as to be inaudible at times. He was courteous, gentlemanly. So, I mean, like, you're real, like your hero you know i mean this is this is the kind of quintessential like the white knight coming in of law enforcement sure so mayor burton personally asked elliot ness to step in okay on uh, september 12th of 1936 the same day they would find the left thigh of the latest victim ness was brought in to formally take over the investigation and on september 15th of 1936 this is so bizarre but they held what they called a torso clinic what? It was, I mean, it's kind of a poor way to word it, but essentially they wanted to hold a clinic to just like, let's just throw evaluate. out everything we know. Evaluate. And this is why, like, this is why this is actually really remarkable. Um, they were profiling. They were oh, building yeah. a profile. That's true. So when they first met the head of homicide, Detective Sergeant James Hogan rightfully points out, Gentlemen, tonight we're right where we were the day the first body was found. So they knew they had to do something. Um, this is potentially, it's, it's one of the very early profiles, possibly the first profile created since Jack the Ripper. Um, they came up with a couple possibilities. One, the killer was an escaped mental patient. Oh, that one I'm like, okay. Okay. That's that's a little bit too much like the campfire tales. <laughs> Did he yeah. have a hook for a hand too? <clears throat> That'd be more fun. That'd be more fun. <laughs> Killers with hooks have more fun. <laughs> the kill- some great hashtags, man. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> the killer was a doctor or medical student or possibly a hospital orderly, but someone that was familiar with okay. with um, anatomy. Uh, another possibility: an actual butcher. Like of animals, not people. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Possibly a hunter, someone who's familiar with how you would dismember something. They believed he was male. <laughs> Duh. I mean, like, that, not, to, not to say again, women can be horrifically vicious, um, but it was, was rightly pointed out the amount of strength that would have been needed. It's not to say that there were not women out there who were strong enough to do it. Sure. But those are not women who are going to be under the radar. You're going to remember a woman strong enough to heft bodies down hills. <clears throat> right? And to, like, kill someone by decapitating them. Mm. Absolutely. This is, this, is a, this is a human being who would stick out in someone's head. So, again... I'm gonna I'm gonna say with like 99.9% certainty, male. <laughs> uh probably lived in the area. They knew it very well. So if they didn't live there, were familiar, either possibly worked there or, or grew up around there, knew anatomy. But probably not a trained surgeon. Okay. Most of the victims were not killed where the bodies were found, which also means there was some kind of place where he was killing them. Some kind of, you know, I don't know, kill room, lab, whatever you want to call it. Sure. 
It was also possible they determined that he was befriending the victims for a period of time before he was killing them. Huh. He, he most likely led a normal life outside of, like, the whole murder portion. I was going to say the not, that's the not-so-normal part of normal life, I suppose. But, I mean, we do look at, look at how many serial killers had families, had spouses. So it, it's, it's being able to compartmentalize like that is, is absolutely a skill a lot of serial killers have. Uh, he was also probably of above average intelligence. So Ness is doing some good for the investigation. Um, I know looking back now, it's easy to kind of question if he was the correct person for the job. Like he had some great skills. His skills were reading, weeding out corruption, you know, mm-hmm. racketeering. Um, it's a real, this is a really different type of criminal. And Ness put a lot of his attention on weeding out corruption in the police department, which is fantastic. But uh, he, he gave a speech to the Cleveland Advertising Club, and he said in it, in any city where corruption continues, it follows that some officials are playing ball with the underworld. The dishonest public servant hiding behind a badge or political office is more detestable than any street criminal or mob boss. Which, again, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But you're not looking at just any street criminal or mob boss. Nope. You're looking at a killer who's literally taking people apart. So... I don't know. It's, 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 and again, looking back, it's really, really easy to judge certain things, how they handled certain things in the investigation. Um, I understand Elliot Ness was a name. Everybody knew who he was. He was a hero. Right. You bring someone like that in because it's someone people can put their faith in. Yeah, that's fair. But (laughs) there it is. Um, I mean, he did like root out a bunch of dirty cops and cleaned out the department. So like, yay, that's great. Good, 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 good going. You, you just well done you. <laughs> uh, so 25 detectives were put on the case full time, including detective Peter Maritu, who is described affectionately by his family as a bulldog. Oh, that's <laughs> kind of sweet. Peter. Yeah, he was he was like he was tough. He was multilingual and he was the perfect person to try and blend in to Kingsbury Run. So he started going undercover. Ness dispensed 15 cops to round up every transient man in the run to question. Oh, my God. Yeah. Over 1500 people would be questions uh, to this day. It's the largest investigation in Cleveland's history. <clears throat> Dang. Yeah. And with Ness's notoriety, like, tips start flooding in, as well as new theories. Perhaps my favorite that I read was from the head of the Federal Narcotic Bureau in Cleveland, Michael Collegeman, who said that the killer must be addicted to marijuana because, quote, both the desire for a thrill and a homicidal obsession are easily induced by the loco weed cigarettes. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
So this is why Washington has so many serial killers. <laughs> oh, shit. That, no, but it's legal. So, like, by that <coughs> logic, shouldn't we have more serial killers now? It really makes you think, man. Really it makes just, you think. It's like, like the loco weed cigarette. <laughs> uh, so I liked that one. So sure. the widespread attention was also shifting the focus over to Newcastle, Pennsylvania, where similar killings had been happening for over 10 years. Since 1925, seven murders, including three that were almost exactly like that in Cleveland, had been committed. In fact, on July 1st of 1936, a headless, naked man was found in an abandoned boxcar in Newcastle, which was enough to get Ness to send some of his assistants to go look into it. Despite these similarities, Ness was not convinced. So they're trying to just piece things together, what they can from what little evidence they actually have. Um, you know, male killer, strong, carrying bodies, dismembering bodies. But, yep, that's mostly what they just kept going over and over and over and over again. So now they're just waiting for another body to drop. Oh, no. And that's not great. When that's your investigation, no. when your investigation becomes, cool, well, let's see when the next murder happens. And the next murder would happen. Of course it would. On February 23rd of 1937, a man collecting driftwood would find part of a female torso on Euclid Beach near the spot where the 1934 Lady of the Lake was found. According to the man who found her, at first, I thought it was the body of a dog or a sheep, but then I saw it was part of a body, so I notified the police. The police were summoned. <laughs> there it is. There it is. The torso, which had been severed at the waist, had washed up. It had not been placed there, which was also, again, very similar to the Lady of the Lake, which was found two years prior. The arms and head were missing and would never be recovered. The lower half of her torso would wash up three months later. The woman was between 25 to 35, decapitated after her death. Oh, so that's, that's a little so nice. And never ID'd. The coroner did speculate that she was probably a mother. Um, there was speculation as to whether or not she was a victim of the mad butchers since the, the decapitation happening after the death, but most attribute her death to him. The new coroner, Dr. Samuel R. Gerber, would speculate, and this is all going to sound familiar, he is a person of more than average intelligence with definite professional knowledge of anatomy, but not necessarily a man of surgery. In all probability, he belongs to a higher social stratum than his victims, but can mingle with vagrants without arousing suspicion. Which, again, it's the same information over and over. They're all saying the same thing, but nothing is coming of it. Because they don't have anything else to go on. That's so frustrating. It's, it's insanely frustrating. And, and there is that element, again, like, people are scared. People are talking about it. But this is still a case where if you are of a certain socioeconomic status... It's a case you talk about, you're horrified by, but sure. you are not in danger of being a victim of. No. And there is a, a, thing, a safety in that. There is something about, 
I mean, like, we do it now. We're talking about these serial killers who are killing marginalized people, and we're not part of this class. Like, it's, 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 it's sad, and it's frustrating, and it's just such a pattern, and you see how far back this goes, and it still happens, and we've covered more contemporary cases where this happens, and it, I don't know. It just, it just is. <laughs> it, it's tough because it, it's hard to relate if you're not of that, like, descriptor, right? Like, or the type of person to be affected by something like that. But at the same time, like, it doesn't make it okay. Like, it's well, just so messed up. Well, and it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's, we see it, we saw it Gary Ridgway yeah. where his victims were... Like, part of why it took him so long to acknowledge it was a serial killer is because his victims were a lot of marginalized people, a lot of sex workers, runaways, um, you know, Robert Yates, same thing, mostly sex workers. It's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's just sad. It is sad. It's very sad. Uh, On June 6th of 1937, a burlap bag with a human skull was found by a teenage boy under a bridge. He noticed the sun glistening off of the gold teeth in the mouth. Oh, my God. Uh, Next to it was a burlap sack with skeletal remains, the torso without any of the limbs. It was a small black woman aged about 40. There was a foot-long chunk of human flesh that was in advanced stages of decay. Given the state of the bones, it was estimated that the woman had been killed almost a year prior uh, to being found, which would have been sometime early summer of 1936. A search of the area found some black hair, which they initially thought was part of a wig, but the pathologist would confirm that it was hair and partial scalp from the victim. Oh, that's rough. Stranger still inside the bag where the bones were kept were a, um, a newspaper piece. A theater review. <laughs> oh. So they traced the the review. It was from a, a show that had been there the previous summer. So they, they found the exact date as being June 5th of 1936, which supported the state of the bones decay. Um, this also places the death around the same time as the unidentified tattoo man who had been found by the two boys playing hooky. Um... The vertebrae showed signs of hacking and cutting, indicating she had been decapitated, but the body was too decomposed to determine if that was the cause of death. Oh, that's rough. However, the teeth, she had those gold teeth, the bridge work. Oh. They start showing pictures to dentists, and from there, a tentative ID was made. Unofficially, she would be ID'd as a woman named Rose Wallace. It is not an official identification, partially because the dentist who had done the work on Rose died 15 years prior. So he could not confirm if it was his work. Rose had disappeared on August 21st of 1936, which is also a little off from the original estimate. Um, but not so much that that it's not plausible. Uh, at this point, she is considered victim number eight or number nine, if we are counting Lady of the Lake, which sure. some do and some don't. Okay. Rose sometimes worked as a sex worker, like uh, our victim Flo Palillo, 
What's more interesting, though, is even though it was not clear if the two of them knew each other, they moved in the same circles and absolutely knew some of the same people. Uh, Her last day, they pieced together. She had been at home doing wash when someone came by saying a man wanted to meet her at a bar. She would later be seen leaving the bar with a man named Bob. She would last be seen in a car with a trio of white men before her bones would be found almost a year later. And, and some people debate as to whether or not she is truly one of the butcher's victims, partially because she was black. Hmm. And there, and there still are people who argue that serial killers don't kill across race lines, which is bullshit. There have been plenty of serial killers who have killed across race lines. But, um, I counter for what that's worth, which is nothing because I'm not a professional anything. But, uh, uh, I think the similarities far outweigh any. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I I tend to gravitate toward whatever you think in these types of situations. (laughs) (laughs) So even though you're like, I'm not a professional, it's not. No, but you you are in your own right in in your research. Right. Uh, But I think at the same time, like. You know, I. I, All arrows point to that. And in my opinion, too, It, it just it doesn't really seem like there's many alternative options. Like, I think that's the issue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on July 6th of 1937, a guardsman spotted a piece of male victim in the lake. It took almost a week to recover the full body, save for the head, which was never found. Pieces would be found wrapped in newspaper and burlap, which probably sounds familiar. Yep. Uh, The man was in his mid to late thirties or early forties. The genitals on his body were also intact. That's, The pathologist (laughs) Ruben Strauss noted evidence of, quote, considerably more hacking than seen in the previous torso cases. The abdomen had been gutted and the heart ripped out. The victim had been murdered about 48 hours before the first pieces were found. And to this day, like most of the victims, has never been identified. Like most of the others, the cause of death was decapitation. And this was still not the end. But we're going to pick up the final few victims, some suspects, and a possible connection to another infamous case in our next episode. So stay tuned. You're going to leave me with a cliffhanger now, aren't you? I am. Hanging off that cliff. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for next week. All right, all right. <laughs> and this brings us to Creepy Critics Corner. Creepy Critics Corner. Kim, what you watching? Uh, well, so as you know, Gabby, I actually went, um, I mean, it would have been Friday night for me by the time this episode comes out, it'll have been like, I guess over a week to see a double screening 
at the Sif Egyptian Theater of Alien and Aliens, which is my first time seeing them on the big screen. Yes. Uh, and I actually went with Terrence. My husband. Yeah. <laughs> because it's one of his, they're like his favorite movies and you're just like, eh, no, thank you. No, I really like them, but I couldn't, I couldn't leave the dog home alone. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Otherwise I would have come. But uh, also I always troll him because he hates horror films, but loves Alien and Aliens. So I'm Which are like, horror films. Exactly. Thank like, you. I mean, they're sci-fi horror. It's a specific subgenre, but Any, no. anything sci-fi he'll definitely go for. So that's the loophole for him. It was really fun. Not just seeing them back to back, which I also had not done before. I had not watched one and then the other immediately. But seeing them on the big screen, it's just, it's a really different viewing experience. Um, Watching them back to back, the different directors just like screamed. They are such different movies. You know, the second one is is so much James Cameron and and so much your your action. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but it was, it was really, really fun. I hadn't realized that Alien had its premiere at Sith back in 1979. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So they were, they're using this partially to kind of kick off the, the film festival, which starts in May where they have a whole like film and outer space and film is the future. I don't know. It it ties into whatever their theme is. So I thought that was, was, was super, super, super cool. Um, I, I have also been rewatching the first season of yellow jackets because the second season premiered. I've not, started watching the episodes yet because it's been a year and I usually need to go back and watch whatever the previous season was to remind myself what happened. And this show, especially there's so many weird little details, but it's been really fun. We, I think we talked about yellow jackets when it first. Yeah. And it's been, um, it's been really fun going back and revisiting the first season. The, the acting is so great. Uh, but I, I'm, I find it really remarkable you know, the the cast, the older cast, the cast that's playing is if you're not familiar with the show, it's about a um, girls soccer team who in the 90s, um, their plane crashes and um, they, you know, some of them survive because it flips back and forth between like today and back in the 90s when their plane crashes. But you're kind of trying to puzzle piece what happened. And you know something truly messed up happens. Mm -hmm. And it's alluded pretty early on what some of that really messed up is. But I feel like every time you start to think to know what's up, you realize you're wrong. And uh, so, you know, your your contemporary cast, you've got Juliette Lewis. You've got Christina Ricci. um, You've got... um, Oh, why am I? Uh, 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 I'm completely blanking for a second. Sorry. Um, I know Mel- you're talking uh, about, but I can't yeah. remember her name. <laughs> Melanie, Melanie Linsky, Melanie Linsky. Uh, you have this, just this absolutely brilliant cast of, of actresses in, um, uh, uh, the, the the current time, uh, but their counterparts, their younger counterparts are so, stinking good and so well cast as as the younger versions of each of these women so uh yeah i've been watching season one season two already has the first couple episodes out they're on my dvr so as soon as i catch up i will start watching them and i shall report back uh gabby what you've been watching i was gonna say nice but sidebar oh yeah 
Fun fact is that Terrence was really excited to tell me about the special alien beverage and straws that you guys got <laughs> at the aliens uh, double at feature. The, yeah, <clears throat> it was some kind of like neon green Italian soda. I don't know what flavor it was. The flavor, I think, was neon green. But it had um, glow-in-the-dark straws. <laughs> So, so cool. with like you know like the like the like the the glow sticks like you bite yeah, it like and you it, break yeah. it and it you, makes yes and it makes the so um each each of these neon green drinks uh had a glow had a glow straw and so you could put it in the drink and the drink kind of glowed like the aliens that's really cool blood. whoever it was, came it up with cool. that idea is just like genius man Sif Egyptian especially <clears throat> they do they do like weird drinks they do great drink pairings. Um, I remember when I saw, uh, I think it was midsummer there and they had some really cool pairing when I saw cocaine bear there, they had another kind of like batshit drink that had, I don't know, like Swedish fish or gummy bears. It was gummy bears. It was gummy bears. It was like gummy bears in like, no, it was like gummy bears though in like vodka or some weird, you know, so, or no, it was white claw. It was like gummy bears and white claw, which I didn't get because that sounded disgusting. But part of me almost (laughs) did to stay loyal to the theme because I respected it. No, they, they have a lot of fun when they do special events or when they do movie premieres, um, I, I love the Egyptian. I live within walking distance of it. It's one of my my favorite theaters to go to, uh, and I, I go whenever I can. Um, I'm a SIF member. I love SIF. I I think they are a fantastic organization. Their film festival is amazing. I have nothing but awesome things to say about it. So yeah, no, it was it was ridiculous. It was a blast. Um, the, the showings were sold out. I mean, it yeah. was. Terrence got a ticket off somebody outside. He lucked out. I said I was saving a seat, but I was ready to get yelled at because he didn't officially have a ticket yet. And then he was able to get one. But it was packed. Yeah, I'm Um, not surprised. It was really, really cool. Nice. So, yeah. Well, Uh, funny enough, you went to (laughs) SIF on Friday. I did. And I went to SIF Egyptian Theater on Mm -hmm. Saturday. You did. (laughs) So we had a SIF weekend. We did. um, but what I saw uh, on Saturday was um, a, a documentary film featuring uh, a, co- a friend-ish, colleague-type person of mine from the paranormal realm mm-hmm. of Instagram <laughs> is sure. a really fun way to put it. Um, but it was called Death is With Me. And what made me really excited to see this or what really got me going was the fact that it's about funny enough Mm. lady of the lake Mm -hmm. um the story of uh lake crescent that we covered Mm -hmm. back in 2020 um kim you Mm -hmm. covered this one i did and um they actually do a full-blown deep dive into the history of it and mm-hmm. have a bunch of different people speaking to parts of the history. The Very way cool. that they did the documentary was really cool, too, because they had, um, like, projections behind the people who were being interviewed and, mm. like, slight, like, creative reenactments that were more, like, okay. artistic and not, like, okay. literal reenactments. Sure, sure. Um, and then they had the whole secondary section that was about 
is this person haunting the lake? What are all the deaths that were involved with? Like, how many deaths are recorded at Lake Crescent, just in general? And then who never gives up their dead? That they mentioned that Mm -hmm. a few times. My favorite part about it, which I here's the thing, is I don't want to give anything away because even though. You know, just like Lake Crescent never gives up their dead, I won't give away the details of this film, but it's not available yet for streaming. Um, it will be at some point. So if this does sound like an interesting documentary to watch, I'm sure it will be for any of our listeners because it's it was right up our alley. I know Kimmy really wanted to go, but ironically, you had to do a ghost tour instead of I go had watch a ghost a tour, <laughs> ghosty documentary. Um, so for the sake of both of us, I went and um, it was actually really cool. Um, the investigative part of it was really interesting to see the way that Amanda, her name's Amanda Paulson. She is um, pretty effing spooky on uh, Instagram if you want to check her out. And she was the featured um, person in the film. So you get to learn a little bit about her as a human, what got her into paranormal things, and then her do an investigation at Lake Crescent and then also go back a year later and like revisit it, which was kind of cool. Um, so that was a really neat thing. And I got to hang out with her afterward and she actually might be coming nice. on our podcast. At some That's right. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she'll have a chance to talk more about that when she joins. Um, so stay tuned for sneak peek of something happening in the future with ghoulish tendencies at some point. We can't tell you when. Um, but yeah, so I did see that. And then I also was super stoked for, um, on Hulu, Great Expectations, mm. um, which it's very much up your alley, Kim. Um, I'm not a Dickens fan. <laughs> hear me out. I mean, this, it's a great cast, but I'm, I'm not a Dickens fan. The cast is really good. Uh, I'm not a huge Dickens fan either, but I do love the story of Great Expectations. Uh, it is very like messed up. I'm not. Um, I'm not a Dickens fan. Not, okay, I'm really never mind. Not. I like. I've read, I like. I've read almost all his books. I am not a Dickens fan. Okay, fair. Well, I, the this show is done very well, and it is. I, it looks beautiful. Really, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Commercials are stunning. I, I, yeah, I've never liked the story. I didn't like the book. I like it, but it's and beautiful. I, yeah, it looks and beautiful. It's really pretty, and it yeah. actually is done very well. And there's, I feel like, Great Expectations has always just been a heartbreaking like story. That's why in, I don't in, like the story in, in many aspects, which I also gravitate toward like <laughs> depressing dark shit. Oh all no, the time. I, so, like, I, I don't even get me started on Wuthering Heights. I fucking hate that shit. Uh, but it's it's fair. not my like. I don't like the 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 downer romance. I had that. I don't need to watch it. That's fair. I feel like because <laughs> I had it, I was like, yes, I relate. But also. It's just from that era, a different flavor, different done differently. But I don't know. For me, I liked it a lot. I haven't yeah. seen all of it. I think only three episodes are out right now, but I binged it. Sure. Um, but like literally the first scene shows Pip like hanging himself. Like that's like yeah. the first thing that you see. And then like great expectations. It's just it's done in a really uh, interesting way. So, so far I like it. It has a creative um, approach, but it is dark, like Real, 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 real dark. Um, so I watched that. I was excited to see that as well. And then for the sake of, I always have to have something on that's like nostalgic or funny or both or just something I can put on in the background and do other things with. So I decided to revisit True Blood. Mm-hmm. And I'm rewatching True Blood. <laughs> um, and wow, I haven't seen this since it, I think it came out. And so it's a, a f- definitely a fun time i keep all i can see when i look at eric northman in season one is like 
Renee Zellweger hair. Like that's all I can see, and so it's <laughs> very comedic. To I read because he did have he had long hair. In he the had first long season, hair, but I feel like um, I just remember him as having short hair. So it was jarring for me to see him with long hair, and it just looks like a really bad wig. Like it, it looks like a nineties wig. Yeah, and so it's just funny. I think it was just the first season, maybe that that was. I'll keep you posted because I'm gonna remember. binge it's this been, shit. It's been I I it's been a real long time since I watched yeah. the show. But I that being said, I love me uh, some Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> me too. I really love him too. That's honestly like one of the reasons I wanted to rewatch it was to see how it held up because it's been such a long time since I've watched it's it, and I was just curious. Um, and the sex scenes are just like so stupid. Like they're so ridiculous. Like just over the top. But um, funny enough, because I was watching that recently. After we went to the movie on Saturday night, uh, the couple of friends that I was with and Amanda and a couple of her friends went to Pine Box afterward um, <laughs> because I thought that was an appropriate place to go. For those sure, of you who don't yeah. know, Pine Box used to be like a crematorium and mm-hmm. now it's a bar uh, it's good called time. Pine Box after. I mean, it's on Pine, but it also was a crematorium. The, the box. <laughs> the, the literal literal Pine Box. Um there was a bartender there that literally looked like a modern version of like Jason Stackhouse, and that's all I could see because I have just been watching True Blood. So, you know, Love that's it. why we need to rewatch things like this in life. Sure, things. yeah, absolutely. Um, but I do need to watch Yellow Jackets. I actually never got past the third episode of the first season. I never. Finished oh, really? It. I just oh. haven't. I haven't gotten into it because it's one of those shows where, like, Terrence and I keep saying we're going to watch them together, and then we watch something else. Oh, that's the kiss of death. Yeah. Yeah, and instead we're just watching Mandalorian, which is really good. Mandalorian's great. Also, that's I've been watching that. Anyway, that's what I've been watching. Lots of different things. <laughs> um, but I will say that was the first time I've gone to a movie in a really long time, like an actual movie theater. Like I don't. Remember the last time I went to one. I think it was the first have... time I'd been to one since like last week. Last week. I know you go all the time. <laughs> I go all the time. I love it. I have my Regal membership, my SIF membership. My yeah, no, I love it. Uh was it nice, nice. being back in the theater? It was. And I, I actually like I still struggle with social social things and like talking to people I don't know. <laughs> Very awkward. And um, there was a moment where we were getting like snacks and drinks and like I, I I could not communicate like a human to this person who was trying to give us beverages and food. Um, <laughs> and it was very entertaining and I had to like hide in my jacket and walk away. So, you know, <laughs> such as leaving the house and what happens when you do, yeah. but it was fun. <laughs> we had a good time. Nice. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. Um, if you haven't in a while, checked out our Patreon. We've been updating that like pretty frequently. So there's mm-hmm. lots of new content. If you haven't um, checked out our Patreon at all, Head on over to Ghoulish Tendencies. You can choose your level of support and also what kind of content you'd like to see. There's a variety of options. So head on over there and check it out. We also have, if you'd like to support us without a financial contribution, you can just go on over to Apple Podcasts or um, you know Spotify and leave a review, a rating, whatever you can. Um, also, just say hi. We like to hear from our people. Um, and you can always find us on the social meds. So... That would be on Instagram, Ghoulish Tendencies. Most places, Ghoulish Tendencies or Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. So just look us up. You'll find us, I promise. It's the internet. It's easy. Um, But yeah, having said that, thank you for listening. And stay.